If you can grab your Bibles, we're going to have our second reading, which comes from Matthew 26. If you have a blue pew Bible, it's on page, starts on page 962. It will be close to one of the ribbons in your Bible, we hope. Matthew 26, verses 1 to 17. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas. And they plotted to arrest Jesus in some sly way and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. While Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he reclined at a table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste? they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a wonderful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out for him thirty silver coins. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Here ends the reading. Caleb has given me the nod. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Uh, thank you too to Robert and Wayne for the way you've helped us to understand a little bit more about what's happening in the Middle East. Thank you. Thank you, Caleb, for helping me with the sermon. <laughs> now, let's pray. Oh God, our Father, we open your word and we pray that through your spirit you will speak to our hearts and teach us to be like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. I was sitting in a trustees meeting and the secretary said a bequest has just come in and he opened the letter and he read it to us and two houses and a million dollars. And he said, what a great legacy that we have been gifted with. And when we think legacy, we normally think goods, houses, money. But what we're talking about today is quite different. Not generosity in goods and money, 
but beauty in attitude and action which flowed directly from Mary's love for Jesus. And so Jesus says, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So today we tell the story. Now, if you have your Bibles open, you can follow along because I'm going to watch the verses as I work through. Verse 1, when Jesus finished saying all these things. Now, for the last chapters in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus has been teaching in parables and he, they have been calling him Rabbi. When we get to verse 2, we find things are changing significantly. For we read, as you know, the Passover is two days away and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. In other words, all the symbols and signs of the Old Testament, which have been shadows, are about to be, be realised in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And the theologians love to call it the Passion of Christ. But where is it happening and how is it happening? It's happening in the midst of intrigue and conspiracy and trickery and intent on murder and a whole lot of hypocrisy. Now, we understand passion, don't we? I mean, if we're passionate about native gardens, we'll pull out all the roses and camellias and azaleas and, and uh, rhododendrons and chrysanthemums and we'll throw them over the fence and we'll plant the wattle and the waratah. Passionate about native gardens. If we're passionate about Jesus, he tells us that we're going to deny ourselves and take up the cross and follow him. And Peter said, yes, I'll follow you, Lord, even if I have to die. And there's the passion expressed. Jesus was passionate about what was about to happen in two days. It's what he came for. It's what he lived for. It's what he would die for. It's what he would enter into most fully, and he was doing so at the command of the Father. Okay, I've set the picture. Now, Mary's legacy, this beautiful, beautiful action, it's sandwiched in between Jesus' teaching and Jesus' passion. And it happened in the little village of Bethany. Uh, some of you are aware that our family, uh, our son and his wife and family went to Mongolia when Ella was four. She's now 18, so 14 of her years have been in Mongolia. When she left, she was only four, and I happened to be a granddad. And I was hugging her and realising how much I was going to miss little Ella as she jumped on the plane with her parents and dropped down at this airport and then the next airport and then the next one and landed in a city that was so incredibly different from the Camden area where they lived. They left at 25 degrees, they arrived at minus 25 degrees and there was snow all round and there was the great Asian city that was just blocked up. And then beyond that city it was out into the countryside over in the direction of Russia, settling to the a nomadic kind of setting to establish a business that would affect people significantly towards Christ. Well, little Ella came home again. She was now seven, so she was a big girl. 
and everything in her life had been changed. Everything. And she'd seen this and she'd seen that and she'd been in minus 30 and she'd been in plus 30 and she'd seen the great wheat fields and she'd seen the nomadic life and the, the gears and all of this stuff all over the place. So eventually they came to visit our home in Wentworth Falls. And of course I crouched down low so that she could come straight into my arms, which she did. And I took her into the house and she said, Grandad, it's still the same. And this was amazing to her because nothing had been the same ever, ever, anywhere in half of her life. And then she said, and Grandad, you smell the same. Now, I don't know whether that was good or bad, but it was a great expression from a little girl of coming home. And this was a great place of respite and peace and love. That's what Bethany was to the Lord Jesus. This was a place for him of friends and beauty and joy and the old gospel song would say a shelter from in the time of storm. And there were Mary and Martha and Lazarus there and everything was the same. They, he knew where the pictures were on the wall. They all knew where the loo was. They could walk into the kitchen and give a hand. They kick their shoes off. This was the picture of a beautiful home. Indeed, a picture of we want to make a picture that we want to make our homes like beauty joy safety lowered voices and isn't it interesting that so often we have to get on our knees and say lord i actually was responsible for what's just happened in the home and i'm sorry and then it happens again, and we have to say, I'm sorry. It really should be a daily action, should it not? So that our homes stay like Bethany was for the Lord Jesus. Well, that's Bethany. And Simon's home was there, Simon the leper. Now, what's a leper supposed to do? He's supposed to say, unclean, stay away. But here is Jesus in the leper's home, together with maybe 20 or 30 people. I wonder who Simon was. Was he one who'd been touched by the hand of Jesus and had been healed? And is it possible this, this was actually a celebratory dinner, celebrating the Lord Jesus? Well, you can think about that one. I want your imaginations to run around a bit more. Uh, everybody's eating and they're tasting the local wine and the bread and the lentils and the onions and the leek and the garlic and the figs and all of those kind of things in the Middle East and being served by a gracious host, Simon, and maybe members of the family. Where was Mary? <laughs> we know from another story that she loved to sit at the feet of Jesus. Maybe she was doing this again, but maybe she was serving with Martha who was serving. And Lazarus was there. Was she sitting beside? I don't know. Did she head off into the bedroom with nobody noticing? Uh, did she brush her hair again? Did she tidy her clothes? We know that she came out with a flask. I wonder was she noticed coming back? I don't know. But all of a sudden there was a crack. And that would have 
brought people's attention to Mary because there was a half a litre of very expensive perfume, says Matthew. Pure nard, says John. It filled the room, said John. This beautiful nard, most likely having come in from the Himalayas, very costly. Matthew said she poured it on his head. John said she poured it on his feet. Jesus said she poured this perfume on my body from head to toe. Now, as Caleb pointed out, this is a bit strange for us. But no, it's not strange for Lauren and me because we've been in a culture where that happens. And when we go down to the Indonesian congregation for a funeral, what we find is a body lying in state. And as we come from the back of the church and around here, we are handed a, a, a bottle of eau de cologne and we spread the body with that eau de cologne. And then the next person and 120 or 130 people come back and it just fills the whole of the house as the body is anointed by the congregation. I mean, this happens yesterday here in Sydney amongst the Indonesian congregation. So culturally, we've experienced it, but no, it's not the kind of thing that we do here in Australia. Now, let's think about Mary a little bit more. She's a supportive woman in Jesus' ministry, open home, loves sitting at Jesus' feet. She's heard the parables. She's no stranger to anxiety because she watched her brother die. And when Jesus turned up, she just said, if you'd been here. Oh, yes, she's been through all of that and the anointing and wrapping of bodies, her own brother. And she's heard Jesus talk about crucifixion and death and resurrection. And she's heard the parables. And somehow she's pieced it all together with such a flow of emotions of sadness and generosity and devotion and love and anticipation and, and, and touching deeply, deeply into satisfaction of soul as she mixes the nard with her own tears and now she's wiping all that off with her hair and she's totally absorbed, totally absorbed in this. I'll never forget the funeral that I presided over at the Hurstville Church when we were there. Uh, Mr. Grain Mrs. Granger had died and we had finished the service with Bible readings and singing and all of that. And as we came to the point of the committal of the body, Mr. S Mr. Granger, who was sitting there, stood up and he knelt at the casket over here and in a loud voice, as if nobody else existed in the world, but that one who lay in front of him, he just told everybody in a loud voice what she had been to him. Totally absorbed. This is what we're seeing here. It just reminds me of that old hymn that I think we love to sing. Love divine, all loves excelling. Joy of heaven to earth come down. And then we follow through the hymn, come to us, dwell with us, fill us, finish your work in us, till we are lost in wonder, love and praise. And this is exactly what we're seeing here. It's a pattern for worship. It's a pattern for what we do at home as we open our Bibles and close our eyes. It's a pattern for what we are to be 
when we gather together here. Isn't it sad when we get up and say, oh, it's Sunday, I've got to go to church. Or I better go, though I'm not feeling too good. I don't want to let Keith down. <laughs> Isn't it sad? Isn't it sad when we open our Bible to read another chapter because that's the thing we do and we've got a two-sentence written prayer that we pray and then we're up and gone and we've forgotten about it? Isn't it sad? Isn't it sad? Isn't it sad when a minister opens the Bible because he knows it's going to be good for Bill over there and for Mary up the back? Instead of allowing the Spirit of God to speak through the written word to bring him closer to the living word, the Lord Jesus. But it happens, and it happens far too much. Think of Ezekiel when he saw the vision of the Lord. He said, I was so overwhelmed I couldn't speak for seven days. Look at Paul as he explains the gospel to the Roman people from beginning to end. And then he takes his dry biscuit and he takes his coffee and then he says, oh, the depth of the wisdom and knowledge of God, it's just unfathomable. And you can see he's just gripped by it. Or John, we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. And I can just imagine him looking out the windows and just seeing the birds fly by and just pondering this, full of grace and truth. That's how we come to the Bible, isn't it? That's how we come to our worship services. Now, Mary got it. Mary got it. She understood and she was commended for it. And what are the fellows doing? They're muttering and mumbling and frowning and, and passing each other those knowing looks as they consider the ignorance of Mary doing what she's doing. In fact, the Bible says in verse 8, when the disciples saw it, they were indignant. I mean, this negativism just caught like COVID. And they're all frowning at her. Now, the word indignant is a, a very strong word. Um, we rode horses to school because we were out in the bush. Uh, we had a beautiful half-Arab half uh, dapple mare, a magnificent horse. We'd take an apple out into the field and, uh, and uh, Lockett would come along, Lockett her name, and uh, we would give her the apple and then jump on her back and all we needed to do was to talk to her or whisper to her or pat her on the side or pat her on whatever it was. We, could, we didn't worry about bridle and saddle with Lockett, but then we had Jewel as well and she was a cranky mare. Uh, when we tried to put a saddle on her, her nostrils would just flare and she waited for an opportunity to bite us on the back, literally, literally. Now, this is the word. The disciples' nostrils were flaring. That's the word for indignation when they saw what Mary did. Now, wouldn't it have been lovely if one of them had stood up and said, oh, come on, guys, knock it off. Quit the negativism. I'm not too sure what this is all about. I've never seen it done this way. Maybe she's wrong. But she's done something that is bringing great joy to Jesus. And we're being negative about it. But nobody stood up. They wanted to be the pack together. 
Oh, how sad it is when Christians will not put their hand up when things are going wrong and just let it happen. This is what's happening here. Until Judas put up his hand to speak. Judas of all people. The Gospels call him a thief. And what's he just done? He's just been out to sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. And he's saying, oh, this shouldn't have been wasted. This should... you know, butter wouldn't melt in his mouth. And you think, how shocking. Mary is giving everything. He's wanting to grab everything. I'm so glad Jesus was there. Verses 10 to 12. Jesus responds, leave her alone. Settle down, you guys. Just leave her alone. She has done a beautiful thing. She understood where Jesus was going, what was going to happen in a couple of days, and what was going to happen beyond that. She got it. And she's preparing Jesus for it. I read recently, the best way to leave your legacy is by example. You can tell your children all day long to be kind and honest and hardworking, but it won't mean nearly as much as if they see you living out these values every day. We agree with that, don't we? Live out the gospel. Live out the... Of course words are associated with that. But live it out. Let's create an event. It's church time. The kids are heading out to the car. Dad's gone out there. And he's a bit agitated because it's getting a bit late. He says to one of the kids, where's mum? Oh, she's not finished. She's inside. And so in a minute, you know, he's all silent and all that kind of stuff. And then he shouts at the kids and he blows the horn and, and mother eventually comes out and she sits down and he puts on the silent act and then starts the motor and skids the wheels and all of that kind of stuff. He's leaving a legacy for the children. The children are sort of saying, if they're not expressing it, but they know, oh, this is how you deal with the crisis in the family. Skid the wheels. Well, let's create another one. <laughs> Mum's running late again. The kids are in the car. Dad's behind the wheel. And he says, Jenny, where, where's Mum? And Jenny says, oh, she's not quite finished yet. And Dad says, oh, I'll go and give her a hand and we'll come out. And so a few minutes later, Dad and Mum are in the car. And Dad turns to Jenny and says, we're going to be a little bit late for church today, but, uh, but uh, we'll do better next time. Now let's go. <laughs> Leaving legacy. That's how you deal with the issues in the family. Now, friends, you know that we can create a million more situations like that where you've got this reaction or that reaction, leaving this kind of legacy or that kind of legacy. We know what Mary's is. Our next-door neighbour was, uh, was a returned soldier. He had been piloting a uh, Lancaster over Germany, and he was one who came home, many did not. He settled into a property just beside ours, and um, there were quite a few Christians around the area. So he started coming along to church, though his wife never did. And uh, so he heard sermons here and sermons there, and so on and so on. He said to me one day, Robert, 
I've heard a lot of sermons now, but the best sermon I've ever heard is watching your dad live. And I immediately grew from four feet to six feet. Proud of my dad because he lived it out and spelled it out and showed it to the neighbours. That's the calling. Mary left a legacy. It's a beautiful story. Whenever the gospel is preached, tell it. And of course, as we listen to God's word, we're going to adopt the prayer, let that beauty of Jesus be seen in me. All his wondrous compassion and purity. O thou spirit divine, all my nature refine till the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. Jesus saw it in Mary and said, tell it. Tell it. Let's pray. God, you know how we struggle to be Jesus-like in all that we are and do. And we thank you that the Lord Jesus said, I know your burden. Come to me, I'll give you rest. We see with Mary what he did. We think to ourselves, oh, if we'd been there, wouldn't we have loved to have been the one who stood up and said, stop it and see what she's doing. Help us to do that today, we pray. that we will grow in the beauties of Mary who grew in the beauties of Jesus, in whose name we ever pray. Amen.